Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Jean Johnson. She's a daughter of missionaries to the Mayan people and raised in the Yucatan jungle. Nowadays, she's a children's author, encouraging learning and imagination. There's much more to Jean than just those few little facts. So I'm happy to have Jean here today to talk more about her life and everything she's got going on. So thank you so much, Jean. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Hi, Sarah. Hello, audience. So I do want to introduce myself. My name is Jean Johnson, and I am the author of Rennie Rue's Adventures. Now, how Rennie Rue's Adventures kind of got started was when my first granddaughter was born. I began to reminisce on how I was raised, and it dawned on me that I was raised a little bit differently than everybody else. <laughs> I was raised in the Yucatan jungle amongst the Mayan Indian people. And I have a huge respect and love for these people. My sister-in-law is actually Mayan Indian, and my two nieces and nephews are Mayan Indian as well. I learned so much being immersed in a different culture, in a different uh, country, and I got to learn so much about myself at a very young age. I couldn't talk to the other kids. I had to learn their language and I had to learn how to learn their language. It wasn't just I picked it up. I you know, had to walk myself through a learning process and kind of come up with it myself. And so that is how I have kind of structured these books. And that's where the Rennie Rue character came from. I based it off of my granddaughter um, and even the name and everything in her, my granddaughter's a ginger, so she has red hair and, and blue eyes. And so I just decided that the Rennie Rue character would be the perfect little character for her to go on these adventures with me as the author and, and show her, you know, different things about different. Now, I focus on the states, right, on different states within the United States. And I do have some books coming out that is going to focus more on the Mayan Indian culture, because like I said, that is close to my heart. But I did want to make sure that I pointed out different facts about each state that would interest the kids, animals, plants, all that kind of thing. And then the reoccurring thread between all of the books is dinosaurs. Why? Because who doesn't love dinosaurs? <laughs> I am a huge fan of dinosaurs. I love dinosaurs. Anything to do with dinosaurs, dinosaur movies, dinosaur tracks, anything fossil related. And it's amazing because I have such a childlike enthusiasm for for dinosaurs and for the facts that I put in these books. And I have tapped into the kids' imaginations when I've gone to schools and read these books to them. It amazes me how many little kids after I'm done reading will come up to me and they're just so excited. They're, you know, oh my goodness, that's a big dinosaur. How do you know all this stuff? What do their feet look like? I mean, kids are full of all kinds of questions and it's amazing whenever you just spark that one little bit of imagination in them, what they can come up with themselves. And so I remember that as a kid and I remember using my imagination to be able to speak to the Mayan Indian kids. And I, you know, very young, five and six, I was doing um, 
like little puppet shows and, and little plays for them and everything. And that was how I communicated with them. And it's so funny as, you know, here I am <laughs> in the second part of my life. I'm fixing to be 50. And here I am writing kids books. And it's just so amazing to me how what you start off thinking, okay, this is going to be my career. This is what I'm going to do. All of a sudden you have a shift in life and you're on a totally different path than what you started out on. And you're like, how did I get here? <laughs> and so that's what it's been like with the Rennie Rue children's book series is I, it just, it just happened. And I'm so excited to be here for the ride. I'm just ex super excited. And I'm super excited to be talking to you, Sarah. It's very exciting. Great. And it's cool how you had that inspiration from your first grandchild, connecting it back to like when you were a kid and, you know, being able to share whether it's facts about the states or about these other cultures that you've had experienced. So do you want to kind of start back in childhood and talk about the culture differences before we hit record? You were mentioning about when you moved here and like not speaking English very well. So you want to talk about these different, you know, how you were so immersed in culture and, and different language. I think the number one thing that people always ask me about is when I did not speak English as, you know, as my primary language, I was dreaming in Spanish. And I actually remember us being in the States for about a year when I had my first English dream. And I remember waking up and waking my sister up and telling her, I just dreamed in English. I just dreamed in English. And she was like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> um, because it was, it, we, we lived in Mexico. We lived in the Yucatan jungle. We lived in these places. And so it was all around us, you know, reading, writing, everything was done in, in Spanish. I never, when I was a kid, I never I never thought to myself, oh, well, when I'm older and I'm living in the States, that never crossed my mind, ever. I just always thought that I would be in Mexico, that that's where I would, you know, I would get married there and have my kids there. I would be living in Mexico. Um, and that's not, like I said, I mean, the shift happens and all of a sudden you wake up and it's time to move. And we're moving, you know, back to the States and coming here and just being enrolled in school and not able to to really talk to the kids, not able to, you know, the teachers, you know, had been warned, you know, here, this little kid's coming <laughs> and she, she won't be able to, you know, really talk to you. She understands English and can read and write English, but she doesn't speak English all that well. And so that kind of was really a growing experience. Now at the time it was not fun <laughs> because of course, you know, you're a teenager. I mean, I was, you know, 12 going on 13. And so my whole life had shifted and I was already dealing with, you know, puberty and all this other stuff happening. And then on top of that, you throw in, you know, you're going to move to a different country where nobody is, you know, nobody's going to understand what you're saying. <laughs> and it was just kind of a shocker, you know, but Praise the Lord. I was able to overcome it and just, you know, was able to focus and and learn how to, you know, how to speak. And and it was just the exact same thing that I had done in in the jungle is taking all those little cues and learning from the kids on how to speak. Now, when I was little, I can't speak Mayan anymore. But when I was little, I spoke English, Mayan and Spanish. 
And so those three languages to me was, was normal. And then when we moved here is whenever I lost uh, the Mayan and could, could no longer, I can understand it a little bit, but cannot speak it. Um, so that was a huge uh, kind of a shift in just learning. Okay, so I'm going to have to, you know, use those same, you know, tools that I did in Mexico now to learn, you know, conversational English. And English is a very, very complicated language. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, so through learning all of that, in the Rennie Rue books, I've decided to um, have a portion of the books that are coming up that'll be released um, hopefully in December. They, I had planned on releasing them a little bit uh, sooner, but it looks like December will be the day. Um, and in those books, I am I have decided that in those, I'm going to uh, teach the kids that are reading the books, of course, um, Spanish. So they'll have like some translations and stuff in Spanish. And then the other book will have... We're going to focus on the Mayan language. So kids reading those books will be exposed to the Mayan language and how it sounds and how the pronunciation of those words are so different than our, you know, than how we talk and how, you know, what we hear. Uh, Mayan's a very choppy language. And so it, it has a, it's, it, the flow of it is different. Or Spanish is very melodical. When you speak Spanish, you, I don't know if you'll, some like Desi Arnaz <laughs> listening to him and how he, that's how we, well, when we would speak Castilian Spanish, that's how it is. It's a very melodical, very beautiful language. And the Mayan Indian language is very, it's the way that it's spoken is very choppy and to the point. And there are some words that cannot be translated into Mayan because there just is no word for it like there's not not a word for cell phone there's not a word for computer because the language is an ancient language so they don't have a translation for those things yeah it's, so it sounds like your you know your experience with language has been you know kind of this reoccurring difference of, of needing to learn new things figuring out how as a kid to do that while going through these various times and then translating that into the book so what was life like living in the jungle? Like what is different about that than, you know, kind of like living in the States? Most of my audience is in the States or has like familiarity with living in the States. I, I guess I'll say it that way. <laughs> so I'll one thing that sticks out in my head as a kid so i'll just give you this example and then go into into the reason why this is funny when we moved here to the states i remember being on the playground and a little boy picked up a cricket and put it in my face and i just kind of looked at it and he was like you're not scared and i was like i came from the jungle <laughs> i'm not afraid of a cricket <laughs> and so to me that really sticks out because in Mexico, where we were in the jungle, spiders are as big as a plate. You had, you know, you would be asleep in a hut with a grass roof. So it wasn't a traditional house like what you would, you know, and we didn't have beds. We slept in hammocks. And I remember one day in my hammock, it was time to go to bed. And I remember looking up and there was a big, huge python crawling through the beams of the house. And I, of course, ran in to tell my mom and dad, and they were like, oh, he's just cleaning. Let him do what he needs to do. And so what the Mayan people will do, they leave them alone because those snakes go through their house and clear out any 
any rodents or anything that's in the house. So they're like your little housekeepers that come in and, and take care of what needs to be taken care of. We did learn quickly that when you're in a hammock, you put the hammock all the way around you. So you kind of look like a burrito inside of the hammock because bats would fly through the huts at night. And if you did not have it wrapped all the way around you, you could wake up with a bat face. <laughs> and it's a little scary whenever that happens and you're sleeping and wake up with a bat stuck to your face. Um, we had so many different animals. My dad was uh, the original Crocodile Dundee. He loved animals and he just, he made sure that we, all of us kids grew up with a love for animals. So we had, um, the natives had killed um, a, a jaguar that had come through the village and unbeknownst to them, she had two cubs. And so my dad was like, don't, you know, don't kill them, but we'll, we'll raise them. And so we did, we took them in and we raised them. Uh, my dad made sure that we had, you know, two cans or, you know, sloths and eaters, all kinds of, you know, just crazy out there animals, which to me at the time, I thought this was normal. I did not realize that this was like a flex. <laughs> so whenever I moved, so when we moved here to the States and I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, I had a, a ocelot or I had a tiger or I had a, not a tiger, but a, a jaguar. People would just always look at me and be like, oh, well, you're, you know, you're just, you know, showing off or this. And I was, and, and I wasn't trying to, I was just, and that's when it started, when I started noticing that my experience is different than everybody else's. It's not, it's just, this is how my life was. This is what I experienced at a young age. I, you know, went to the well and pulled water. You know, that's where we got our water. <laughs> and so a lot of people, you know, would go to a faucet where we would go and, you know, pull water from a well. Uh, later on, my dad did make sure that the house got some plumbing. But when we first moved there, we did not. We did everything like the natives did. We had, you know, an outhouse and, uh, and that was, of course, a, a learning experience, too, because not everybody has ever used an outhouse, maybe only read about it in a book. <laughs> but learning these things and learning, you know, because in it, it's in the jungle, it's deep in the jungle. So there's not always electricity. You know, electricity was a luxury. And so you would have, you know, electricity. But if it went off, it would be off for sometimes weeks at a time. And so we all had to learn to, you know, use candles and we had to learn, you know, okay, at night it's time to go to bed, you know, wake up when the sun comes up and, and kind of, you know, everything that you want to do had to be on the sun's schedule and not necessarily your schedule. We learned, you know, if, if anything ever happened uh, with the water or anything like that, we learned, you know, to boil our water. We learned how to, you know, take a, a bath with a bucket of water. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. You know, using a shower is one thing. But if you, you know, if I gave you one bucket of water, shampoo, soap, and told you, okay, take a shower. Most people will be like, well, I can't do all that with just one bucket of water, it, but it is possible because I've done it. <laughs> yes, definitely differences. And then, you know, having to learn what you experienced wasn't then what your peers experienced once you were a teenager in the States. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very much a, a difference of just learning 
different cultures, different people are different in different cultures. The Mayan people are very, they're very quiet people um, and uh, not very outwardly affectionate. Now in their homes they are, but not outwardly. And so whenever I got to really know them and was able to put my arms around them and hug their necks and everything, I saw a totally different side to them. That is not what most people see. I think that most Americans, if they think of like the Mayan Indian people, they think of the movie Apocalypto, (laughs) you know, and that movie only shows a small little piece of what the ancient Mayans, you know, might have been like. But the Mayans of today, you know, that is still their background. That is still their history. But they're very much wonderful, warm people. Very, when I see them, I just want to hug their necks just because I have that connection with them, which a lot of people, like I said, when they, and and some people don't even know that Mayan Indian people are still around. They, I think somebody had said, oh, well, that's, they're, they're extinct. They're not here anymore. And I remember saying, no, 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 they're, they're here. My, you know, my sister-in-law and my niece and nephew are, are both Mayan. They're, they're here. They were shocked to learn that it hasn't. I'm like, yeah, you know, just like the Cherokees or getting, you know, even the, the American Indians are, there are still here and just like, well, of course the Mayan Indians. So it was just an amazing experience to be able to go into the jungle. We all knew as kids, you don't go very far (laughs) into the jungle because our backyard was the jungle. Like we had a hut and it was surrounded by the jungle. And when I say jungle, I mean jungle. You could step outside and watch a jaguar walk through your backyard. It was, you know, it was fairly safe because they don't want to be around you know, humans, so they'll stay away, but you still had to be very aware of where you were walking and what you were doing, you know, and looking around, making sure that you're, you know, not rubbing up against a poisonous tree or something. Yes. Now you just mentioned that your sister-in-law is a Mayan Indian and you have the nieces and nephews. So do you still have family in the area? And like, could you kind of explain maybe a little bit more about your family history and like say why you were living where you were living and then had to come back to the States. Yes. So my dad and my mom had gone. Okay. So um, my dad is, well, my dad was white and my mom uh, white as an American and American Indian. And my mom um, is a hundred percent Mexican. And uh, my grandma is from the mountains of Guanajuato. And so my parents, when they were like in their 30s, decided that they wanted to go on vacation to Cancun. Well, they went out into the ocean and almost drowned. And a Mayan Indian man saved their life. And when he saved their life, my dad said, I'm going to, I want to do something to thank you for saving our lives because they really did almost drown. And this Mayan Indian man, his name was Francisco. He said, no, no, I don't, I don't want, you know, money, nothing. I'm just glad that you guys, everything's okay. But Francisco was a Mayan Indian. And so my dad, you know, purposed in his heart that he was going to go. And as a thank you to this man for saving his life, he was going to go and have uh, uh, established a, um, uh, like a mission down there. 
so this has been, golly, I'm f about 50. And so this has been a very long time ago. And my brother and his wife, who is, you know, from the village, her brother is a chief of the village of Senor. And uh, they have established and continued on the mission that my dad started 45 years ago. Wow. So do you still go back and visit at all? I have gone back uh, once after my last daughter was born. I have not been back since. Um, there, uh, every time that I have planned on something, on, on something going, something happens. Uh, like the last time that I made plans to go, COVID hit <laughs> and shut everything down. So I have not been back. Um, I do still talk to them through uh, social media. I still do talk to the, the Mayan people and my friends that are still there through social media and uh, text messages. Mm -hmm. Great. It's, you know, travel in the past few years has definitely been difficult. Um, but the fact that you are able to connect still um, through the wonderful world of technology, like that's always, always good to hear. So now you mentioned how, you know, these books were something that you know you enjoy and kind of came from when you were a child and it wasn't something you've been doing your entire life so how is it that you kind of got this spark to the point of i'm going to write this book and i'm going to write more books <laughs> than just one like there is going to be a thread there is going to be a character and the dinosaurs and and all of that well you know a lot of us kids grew up watching uh, Reading Rainbow. And uh, LeVar Burton had this whole thing. I mean, I, I, I remember as a kid when we would come to the States, I remember me and my sister waking up super early so that we could, you know, watch all the cartoons and, you know, see, and we would hear that Reading Rainbow, you know, Reading Rainbow. <laughs> and we would just go running into the living room and, you know, sit there so that we could, you know, see what this week was all about, you know. And what's funny to me is that at the time, I didn't realize who he was or what he was doing or anything like that. And years later, seeing him on Star Trek and, it sparked that in me, again, imagination. And it always comes back to those things that kind of, I don't know if it's like a pinpoint in time, but it's th that one thing that you say, oh my goodness, this sparked this in me. So I want to do that too. I want to make sure that the books that I write are worthy of a child's attention. I want to make sure that they're colorful and bright and will spark their imagination and give them tools to be able to spark those imaginations. I don't want the books to be boring or, you know, full of just, you know, nonsensical information. I want these books to be fun so that a kid, when they see them or get excited, oh my gosh, you know, Rennie Roo is going on an adventure. Let's go. That kind of thing. So for me, whenever this whole, whole thing started. I had never done anything like this ever. This was not, this was not even a part of the equation in, um, because of my husband's job, we've kind of moved around a whole lot and we had moved to, uh, Temecula, California. And while we were there, 
I did um, commercials and um, a bunch of ads and stuff for Buick and GMC. Now, it's so funny how all of this links up because when I got the idea for the children's book, I knew how to do a lot of the technical side of the books because of what I had done in my second, you know, in my my other job. So what's funny to me is that I was able to switch it and instead of working for someone else, work for myself and make sure that I focused on the things that I think little kids would be interested in. Little kids' minds are they're like little sponges and they have so much information that's already going, you know, that walking and talking and, you know, all these things that when you throw other stuff in there, it needs to be uplifting and happy. And that's what I really have focused on, on these books. I want kids when they pick up a book, a Rennie adventure book for them to be inspired. I want them to feel like they have just been blasted by sunshine. <laughs> I want them to have just an amazing outlook on life after reading the books. I want them to feel that excitement. I don't want it to be anything to do with adult anything because as adults, we dull. We're, 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 we dull down all those bright things. You know, we're not as as amazing as little kids are. Little kids are, they're the future and they're the hope and they're just, you know, they're just these little balls of energy. And if I could just hug and squeeze all of them, I would. I just love them so much. And I want to make sure that they feel that when they are reading a Rennie Roo book. That they, you know, feel that, oh, this person that wrote this really does care, really does, you know, love and, and, and want us to join in on the fun and the adventure and not be left behind. Yes. And you mentioned how, you know, colorful and fun and, and everything it is. So are, so you're writing the books. Are you also illustrating or do you have someone that you work with? I do all of that, too. So uh, learning again with the uh, with like the Photoshop and all that type of stuff that I was able to learn, I'm able to um, do my own storyboards. The only thing I don't do is edit and translate my books. I have an editor and I have a translator. Praise the Lord. <laughs> because you do not want me trying to make sure that things are spelled correctly. Um, but it has been... Uh, and, and anyone else who's looking to get into to books, that is the main thing that I would tell them. Make sure that you're ready you know, for it and have, have a really good editor, someone who knows you know, kind of what, not just from a page, but knows what you are trying to get across to the kids. Because my editor will catch that and she'll, she'll you know, tell me, hey, you know, um, this you know, sound, can you need to to tweak this a little bit. I know what you're trying to say, but it didn't come across that way. You know, make sure that you, you know, change this or that. And so always, you know, if you're trying to write a book or get started in this, make sure that you are working with somebody who gets you and gets your vision. And then y'all can collaborate together to come out with a really cool product. Definitely. Now, since this, you know, inspiration came from your first grandchild, what do the grandchildren think of your Rennie Roo adventures? Well, so far, it's just her. She is the first. Now, my daughter is expecting grandbaby number two. 
and I have already written him in the Kansas book that was released earlier this year. And so uh, Little Tater Tot is already in there and it'll be Rennie Rue and Tater too. And uh, those will be the, the little characters that are gun- going to kind of lead the way. And how I did <laughs> it's so funny. I wanted to make sure that I used animals uh, to represent uh the kids and their imaginations in these books because I love animals so much that in in through this and teaching the kids about them I'm hoping that they develop a a love for animals and and really kind of be able to grasp and get a hold of that because love and inspiration are so important to imagination. It's all connected. And so if we can spark that little bit of, oh, I have a cat or, oh, I have a dog. Oh, I have, you know, this or that. And it shows up in the books, they'll be able to get a hold of it and be like, oh, okay. You know, if they have this and, you know, mom, I want to be, you know, I want to be a turtle or I want to be a seal or I want to be, you know, whatever else. And so there are very, many other animal characters that are coming in the books that I'm hoping that the kids will um, get a hold of and really, really enjoy and like. And since this was something that you didn't start doing the writing until after your kids were not of children's book age, um, how, (laughs) how were you able to kind of inspire your own kids with imagination and love of animals? Well, so my my kids are older. I have a a 27-year-old, a 26-year-old, and a 17-year-old. So my kids are, uh, are older. I made sure growing up with them that we did tons of crafts. Like I said, uh, when I was little in the jungle, I would do puppet shows and plays and stuff like that for the Mayan Indian kids. So why would I not do that for my own kids? So I would get on the floor with my own kids and do, you know, puppet shows with them. I would get on the floor with them and play, um, you know, blocks or whatever, because I'm a big kid at heart. I, I, I remember what it's like to be little. I remember how hard it is to, you know, trying to tell an adult what you're thinking and you don't have the correct words. And so you're just kind of stumbling over yourself trying to get those. That is one of the main things that I'm focusing on when I was raising my kids. I wanted my kids to be able to talk to me. I wanted my kids to be able to tell me, mom, this is how I'm feeling. This is not, you know, what I want to do, this, that. And I did that with, with play. Um, You know, like I said, getting down on the ground with them, you know, we would do arts and crafts, you know, paper mache. We did all kinds of stuff. We would paint blocks, anything that I think that they would enjoy. I would get down and and do it with them. And uh, again, I just think that that's I think it's important. I think that it, you know, has helped my kids, of course, grow and and become, you know, who they are and and be able to be individual with it because they're able to say okay you know my mom's you know she's so crazy she gets she'll sit there and play with us or she'll you know she's not afraid to get dirty i'm the mom that likes you know going and picking rocks and and you know looking at the little insects and and i love that and i think that now that my kids are older 
they are like, yeah, that's my mom. My mom's that lady over there who's checking out the butterflies and the caterpillars and <laughs> and out there with, you know, magnifying glasses to see, you know, what's going on in the dirt. And, and you know, when you're little, I think that that is the most important thing that you can do with your kids is just get dirty with them, you know, learn how to, how to play and learn how to, you know, show them that you're interested because when parents are interested in something, the kids are going to be interested too. I think it's very important that parents take the time to read with their kids, do puzzles with your kids, just have that one-on-one time with them. Because the more one-on-one time that you have with them when they're little, when they get older, they'll talk to you. And I have a very solid relationship with my children. And, uh, and I think that that's why. And are you that same kind of grandma as you were as a mom being involved and getting dirty? Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Not at all. It's so much fun. It's so much better being a grandma because when you're mom, you also too have to be the disciplinarian. You know, you're the one that has to step in and say no or, you know, get on to them or show them structure or whatever. Now, when you're grandma, you don't have to do that. <laughs> you can sugar them up and send them home. <laughs> it's so much, it's so much funner. I have a blast with my granddaughter. I love to just sit in her room and play with her and, and not have a care in the world about, you know, if I'm feeding her nothing but, you know, mac and cheese and a cookie, it's, you know, that's what she's going to get coming, you know, over to grandma. Mom can handle all the healthy stuff, but when she comes to my house, it's going to be fun and cotton candy and, you know, <laughs> I'll make sure she brushes her teeth, but she, we're going to have fun. It's going to be all about fun. I want her to make sure that she just knows that I'm all about her. Um, being a grandma versus being a mom, it's a totally different game. It's just totally different. And I would just encourage everybody, if you can, and you have the opportunity to step in and be a grandma to anybody who needs one, do it because it's a very fulfilling experience. And what is it like being a grandma at the same time, still having a teenager at home? Balancing (laughs) those kind of two. Yeah, yeah, it's totally crazy. So uh, when me and my husband were married for uh, 10 years, we already had our, uh, our older kids. So we'd been married 10 years. Our son was, um, 10 and our daughter was nine. And we go to the, uh, doctor and he says, Oh, you're pregnant. <laughs> and we were like, what? So that was very strange having a nine year old, a 10 year old and an infant. And so now having, you know, kids who are almost 30 and one who's not yet 20, and then having grandma on top of that, it really is wearing three different hats because your kids never outgrow needing you. Like, I never really thought about that. You know, I never really thought about how much I depend on my, you know, on my parents. My, now my, my dad passed away about 22 years ago, so he's been gone quite a while. But I never really thought about, you know, how much... I went to them to ask for, you know, for, you know, an opinion or a question or, you know, whatever else. Now, now it's my turn. <laughs> and I'm like, this is incredible because, you know, my son has different questions and my daughter has, you know, different questions. And the 17 year old has 
different questions and what they have. And what was interesting is that when she was, of course, you always have that age where they don't want anything to do with you. <laughs> You're not cool. They don't want to talk to you, you know, come into the room and shut the door and that. However, whenever you allow them just to be teenagers and just kind of be who they want to be and let them grow and kind of spread their wings a little bit, they seem to always come back. And that's how mine has been. Like um, from being, you know, having, a, you know, these are the rules. This is what we're going to do to, oh, look, here comes our granddaughter we're going to be her best friends. <laughs> We're going to, you know, eat candy and stay up late. And, you know, and the kids are like, what are you doing? That's, that's not. And I'm like, oh yes, it is. This is how grandma, this is grandma, this is grandma me, you get mama. You don't get grandma me, you get mama because I have to make sure that you're, you know, doing your homework and not staying up too late and not, you know, not staying out past curfew and, and all this stuff. So yes, it is having to wear three different hats but I enjoy it. I absolutely enjoy it. And it's not, and I'll tell you this, and it's not for everybody. Um, it's not for everybody. It's really not. It's, it's, it's your personality and what fulfills you, right? Because parenthood may not fulfill everybody, but guess what? It fulfills me. And so I can only talk about my experience. It fulfills me. I feel like I have peaked because I'm happy with where I am. I'm happy with where I am. I'm happy that not that everything is perfect and not that everything goes your way all of the time, but it's saying, okay, this is the lot that I got and I'm going to love it. I'm going to love it. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to cultivate it. I'm going to make it into more. If I, you know, got lemon seeds, I'm going to plant them and have me a bunch of lemon plants. <laughs> you know, it's not ever looking at things on the downside, but always taking what you have and saying, okay, what can I do with this to make it brighter and better and bigger and, and make it mine. And so for me, I have, I've done that. I feel like I have done that. I feel very, very blessed and very appreciative for where I am and what I've dealt with in my life. You know, a lot of people have asked me in the past, they're like, you know, how can, you know, you're just positive because you've never been through anything. And I'm like, okay, uh, no. When my oldest daughter was born, um, she was three days old and she was admitted into the hospital. Uh, they kept sending us home, telling us nothing was wrong with her. Come to find out, she was born without the ability to swallow. And so when we were feeding her, she was aspirating, which means the liquid was going into her lungs and drowning her. I was 20, so it's very young. And when this was all going down, I just remember thinking, what is, what is happening? I have a one-year-old. I have her in the hospital. She was in the hospital for three months. She had two surgeries um, when she was three days old. It was a traumatic experience. The doctors told us she won't walk. She'll talk with the speech impediment. She'll never be able to do sports. Um, she'll be delayed learning. All this stuff. Um and I just remember sitting there listening to these doctors and just being devastated. I mean, like I said, I was only 20. I didn't understand. I trusted what the doctors were telling me. I didn't understand how, how everything can change, right? 
And so we just began praying over her. I'm like, you know what? There's no, you're not giving me any hope. I'm going to get some help of my own. Like I said, when people give you those nasty little seeds, you plant them and you make something out of them. And so we just began praying over her and she grew up. She was walking at 10 months old. She was um, an elite gymnast. She did um, athletics in high school. And now she's, like I said, um, pregnant with her second child. So, Again, when those kind of adversity things start, you know, hitting you in the face and coming after you, you you make the choice. I can, you know, either waller in this and just I could have just been so, you know, upset and depressed and everything that they have. Or I could grab that bull by the horns and say, you know what? No, we're going to we're going to, you know, we're going to try even harder. We're going to work with you. You're going to walk. You're, we're going to work with you and you're going to talk. We're going to work with you and you're going to, you know, and, and that's the kind of thing you have to be more stubborn than they are. <laughs> yes. And you definitely can't just, you know, look at someone or take someone's attitude of like, this is their life 100% of the time. And, you know, like, life changes, different situations happen. And and you could even be going through something like that at the same time of outward positivity with, with what you've got, got going yes. on. Um, but it, it is very obvious, like how much your, your joy and passion does radiate through. Um, and you know, your daughter proved those, those doctors wrong. <laughs> Yeah, we just, you know, recently when she turned 18, she wanted to know more about her case files. And so she requested her case files um, from the children's hospital that she was at. And she called me up and she was just like, Mom, I didn't realize I was there for three months. I didn't realize all of this stuff. And I told her, I said, yeah, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It is definitely a lot. But again, like you said, you have to just you have to just decide, you know, each person, everybody, we just have to decide. Are we going to, you know, are we going to play along? Are we going to say, no, I'm going to I'm going to go to my own beat. I'm going to, you know, get my little drum and I'm going to drum it up and just march to my own little beat. And that's that's kind of what I do with my (laughs) my everyday living. I just I just kind of beat on that drum and just kind of keep on walking. People tell me all the time, oh, Jean, you, you, that's not, that's not something that, you know, how are you going to do all this? And I'm just thinking, oh, well, it'll happen. I'll make it happen. It'll, it'll just all work out. And I think that's the best advice that you can give anybody going through anything or wanting to start a new career or wanting to, you know, launch something new. Hey, if you believe in it, go for it. Nobody else, nobody else has to, has to believe in you. Nobody else has to see the vision. Nobody else has to, it's up to you. You make it happen. You, if you, if it's something that you really, really enjoy doing, then go for it. And that with me, with the Rennie Roo Adventure books encapsulates what I've experienced. It's something that I saw, something that I felt, and I just ran with it. (laughs) And I was like, didn't even, didn't even ask myself where it was going to go at the time. I just knew that I had this story inside and I needed to get it out. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, before I start to wrap things up, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners today? Yes, yes, absolutely. If they are interested in learning more about me or the Rennie Root Adventure Series books, they can look us up on the web at www.rennieroo.com. They can also find us on Facebook at Rennie Roo Adventures and Authors page, 
as well as Instagram, Rennie Roos Adventures. I post a lot about my um, home life, about my animals, and of course about the books. Um, but that is my, uh, as far as kind of seeing behind the scenes, that's what they're going to get if they, you know, find us on social media. Great. I will definitely link all of those websites in the description for you. Now, at the end of all my episodes, I do ask my guests a random question. So my question for you is, who would you want to trade lives with? Mm. Who would I want to trade lives with? Hmm. That's a hard one, you know, because I really like my, I really like my life. I really do. I, I, I mean, it's been hard. Like I said, you know, I've lost, I've seen loss. I've lost my dad and, and uh, my daughter, you know, went through so much when she was first born, but I, all those things have made me stronger. I don't know that I would pick anybody else. I like, I like where I like where I am and I like, I like my life. Yeah, I, I, I definitely like my life. Now, in a, now if in a decade, if you're saying if you wanted to go to a different decade, I think that I should have probably been born in the 20s. I really do. I think I should have been born in the 20s or the 30s because I love the 20s and the 30s music. I'm not a big uh, music fan of today, but the old, old uh, roaring 20s music I just love. I love all that jazzy stuff. All right, that brings this episode to a close. So as Jean mentioned, if you would like to connect with her, learn more about her and her books, her website will be in the description along with her Facebook and Instagram pages. I'll also be leaving a link for her books on Amazon. If you are interested in purchasing those, that link will be there as well. And of course, if you would like to connect with the podcast, our website is always in the description. We are on social media as well. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So all of those can be found on our website along with all of the past episodes, past resources, social media, all of the good things that previous guests have shared. And if you would like to be a guest on the show, my email is in the description. That is always the best way to reach me. And if you would like to support the podcast monetarily, there is a link to do that as well. So thank you so much, Jean, for spending time with me today. And to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Bye, Sarah. And thank you for introducing me.